This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill, and today is Tuesday, May the 8th, 2018, and I am coming to you live, of course, from Hotlanta, Georgia. And when I say hot, the weather keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter. We are definitely in the season. I got a, a lot that I want to cover tonight as it relates to a officer-involved shooting that actually happened back in 2015. Uh, you may remember this case. Uh, Corey Jones uh, was shot and killed by an off-duty plainclothes officer. Well, he wasn't off-duty. Uh, I think he was working some type of surveillance detail. Uh case happened in 2015 in Broward County, Florida. Corey Jones uh, was a black male. This case made national news uh, back then three years ago as most of these shootings involving black males and police do. Uh, now, this officer, Raja, is trying to get the charges uh, dismissed that he was charged with, I believe. Uh, Second-degree murder is what he was charged with. But he's trying to get that thrown out based on stand-your-ground law, of course, in Florida. And that became very, very famous during the Trayvon Martin-George Zimmerman trial. So we're very familiar with the stand-your-ground law. Uh, so he's uh, been having a hearing for the last two days there in Broward County, Florida, to try to get this uh, case dismissed, saying that he was an innocent victim. But there's so many things wrong with this case. And listen, all my listeners know I'm an ex-cop, I'm pro-police, but I am not the only one that says there's so many holes, there's so many inconsistencies with this officer's statement. Even the detectives that interviewed him just four hours later uh, said that, you know, what he says does not match up. And there's a twist to this entire thing that Officer Raja at the time didn't know uh, that we'll get into. But first, I want to update you on a few things. Of course, I, as I mentioned last week, I had to fly to New York uh, this past Thursday. I flew to New York, had a very productive production meeting. I flew up at seven in the morning, landed at 10, got well, landed at 930, got to my meeting by 10. And by 1245, I was headed back to the airport for a 145 flight. And I swear I was in the world's slowest Uber driver who even on the interstate didn't get past 40 miles an hour. But, you know, luckily I made my flight, got back Thursday at about 430, got home maybe about six once I caught the train and got to my car and everything. About six o'clock on Friday, I was back on the road. I headed to Nashville and, and uh, CrimeCon 2018 was in Nashville. CrimeCon is a convention that started last year where all of the people in the true crime industry, uh, media, like all the shows that you see, 48 Hours, Dateline, uh, Homicide Hunter, you name it, all of those people were there. And it's this, this big convention. Nancy Grace was there. Uh, I got an opportunity to to do something awesome. We actually recorded two of her podcasts that she does for Sirius XM Radio, Channel 132. We actually recorded two episodes. One was about the Delphi murders, two little girls, two teenagers that were uh, killed in Indiana on a trail uh, by this guy. And one of the young ladies knew something was wrong because she snapped a picture 
of this guy. So police actually have his face. I'm sure there was DNA there, but uh, her parents, uh, one of the girl's parents, mother was there. The other girl's uh, grandparents were there. I got a chance to talk to them. I got a chance to donate money to them. It was a great experience. If you get a chance, just Google Delphi Murders. You can actually go and donate. There's actually a $250,000 reward right now for information leading to the capture of this. And just think about it. Anyone out there that's listening that has a teenage girl, as many of us do or many of us did. I have a 22-year-old young daughter myself. I couldn't imagine what they're going through. So if you can help, you know something, or even if you can just donate to keep the investigation going, please do. Again, just Google uh, Delphi Murders or Abby and Libby. Those were their names, Abigail and Libby, Liberty, but they go by Abby and Libby. So uh, please check it out. And one of the other awesome, awesome things I got to do uh, while recording with Nancy Grace uh, was to share the stage with the survivors of the Golden State Killer. And as you know, he was just arrested a few weeks back based on DNA that was submitted to one of those ancestry uh, type uh, companies. Uh, The first thing I will say is if you don't want to get caught, A, don't do do a crime, but B, you know, you have to realize that once you submit that DNA, it's pretty much no expectation of privacy. Just like when you post a pic on social media and then you get mad because someone who's not on your site saw it. There's no expectation of privacy when you do certain things. And that's what happened. That's how they caught the Golden State Killer. Uh, But back to what I was saying, there were uh, two of his actual rape victims on the stage. And then one uh, one woman was the sister of one of his victims that was murdered. And the other woman, Debbie, was the daughter of one of the women that was that was murdered. Uh, And I watched Debbie when. The show first started and they were just going down the line and talking to each of these victims. And I literally could see Debbie over there praying silently and patting on her chest. And you could tell she was getting hyper. She was hyperventilating. And this happened, you know, nearly 40 years ago. But it was just amazing how much, you know, she was still touched by it, as well as all the other victims. And I'll be honest, it doesn't happen too often, but it it brought a tear to my eye and I got to talk to them after the show and I hugged one of uh, the Golden State Killers rape victims. I swear we hugged for about two minutes and I just told her how much I appreciated her and how strong she was. And, you know, we talk a lot about this Me Too movement and we hear a lot about this. But these women, I assure you, are the original of the Me Too movement because they weren't just sexually harassed. They were sexually abused they were raped their family members were tied up and told if they move they're dead and everyone in the house is dead so these were very very strong women then they're very very strong women now and i am truly honored to say that i not only shared the stage with them but i actually was honored to meet them so after that you know uh did a a little bit of mingling saturday Throughout there, I met a producer uh, who I believe pitches stories to ABC. Uh, she was really interested and she gave me her card. We talked for about 30 minutes. But, you know, 
I always live by the philosophy. I don't hold my breath. I wait to see if things happen. But I did send her a quick email just, you know, thanking her for taking the time. She replied back. She said, we'll talk soon. So you never know uh, what may happen out of that. I know she's in the TV business. She said she's working on a few shows in development. One of those shows needs a co-host. She thinks I would fit that mold. But again, I don't hold my breath. I just wait for things to happen and I press on and don't wait patiently or silently. I always press on. Anybody that knows me knows that. And then Saturday night, I got a chance to hang out with a a friend of mine who works for the Law and Crime Network. Uh, You know, I uh, appear on there quite a bit. Uh, I was able to take them out to dinner, one of my favorite hibachi spots there in Nashville, because, of course, Crime Con was at uh, Opryland Hotel and everything in there. Uh, You had 3,000 plus people there for the Crime Con. You had several proms going on. Uh, So anything at Opryland Hotel was packed. So we just took about a 15-minute drive, had some hibachi, and I ended the night and woke up Sunday and had to drive back to Atlanta. So by the time I got back to uh, Atlanta, I don't remember much. I just remember falling asleep and waking up. And it was Monday. Yeah, but enough about that. I don't want to bore you too much with my stories. Uh, but I will say CrimeCon 2019 will be in New Orleans uh, same time next year. So uh, if you're interested in that type of stuff, I urge you to register early. Those passes, those credentials will go quite fast and it will be a sellout like it was this year. Now, I want to switch gears and bring you up to speed on this uh, officer world, former officer, uh, I believe his name is Norman Raja. Uh, Again, this happened in 2015, so let me set the stage for you. Corey Jones uh, was broken down on the side of the road, and at some point, Officer Raja, again, in an unmarked car, which I now see based on the crime scene photos, was just this undescriptive white Uh, Ford Eco van. Uh, He pulls in front of Corey Jones, gets out of his vehicle, and during something, he ends up shooting Corey Jones, I believe, six times. Uh, Now, most people would say, okay, well, something had to have happened to cause the officer to believe that there was a fear of imminent bodily injury or death. Otherwise, he wouldn't have pulled out his gun and shot Corey Jones. Well, I've been following this case, uh, especially in the last few days, because, again, they're having the stand your ground hearing there in Florida, which typically is for civilians, by the way. Uh, But Officer Raja, who was charged with, I believe, second degree murder, uh, is trying to get the case totally dismissed. He's currently under house arrest, saying it was stand your ground. Now, what I want to do uh, is is uh, play his audio from what he told investigators. As you know, when anytime there's an officer involved shooting, investigators come out to the scene, they interview, or they take you back to headquarters and they interview you to get your side of the story. So I want to play his audio. Just bear with me because it's, it's going to be about two and a half minutes of audio. But it's important that you hear all of it, so then we can proceed to talk about what really happened here or 
the issues that everyone, including the investigator who was that interviewed Raja, has with this case. And as I was coming here and everything, I saw this vehicle stopped here, didn't see anybody inside, nothing. And I called out, uh, I believe, on the radio. And I said that I've got a, uh, I thought it was a disabled vehicle on the side of the road or an abandoned vehicle. So I saw this vehicle and everything. And I was like, okay, I've got this vehicle on the side of the road. And, you know, I'm going to check out with it, make sure everything's okay. I didn't think there was anybody in there. And as I got close to the vehicle and uh, the door swung open and uh, this guy jumps up and I immediately got out of the van. And he's like, I'm okay, I'm okay, man. And at which point I said, hey, man, police, can I help you? And the second I said police, he jumped back. And I clearly remember him drawing and going, pointing a gun at me. I saw that silver muzzle and he had, I can swear on this, he had a laser max laser in the guide rod in the gun. And I saw that red light of that laser max flashing at me. And I immediately just shouted, drop the gun. And, sorry. Let's do this. Take a deep breath. I remember pulling the trigger, I think two to three times. And he started running. And as he was running, I had my cell phone and I, dialed and I still remember putting my code in and just like this I had the gun and I'm keeping an eye on this guy and I put my code in dialed 911 and I called dispatch right away because my radio was in the van and the whole time I'm like giving him commands I'm yelling screaming I'm like drop the gun drop the gun drop the gun I remember clearly seeing this the gun was right here I remember seeing it above the door level and it was in this area right here pointing at my directly at me this is where I grabbed my phone and I started running after him with my gun still pointing in his direction, screaming, and I was on 911, I was yelling, I was like, drop the gun, drop the gun, drop the gun. And uh, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. That's when he did the spin. Then I was yelling, I was like, drop the gun, drop the gun. And I saw him go like this. And, and I remember saying to myself, aim. I still remember, and I was like, aim. And I put that front sight right in the center mass, and I squeezed. At that point, it's like, he knows I'm a cop. I identified myself. This guy's trying to kill me. And I was, and I, I didn't want to die. All right. So that was audio from a video uh, walkthrough of the shooting from that night. This uh, recording took place about four hours after Corey Jones was shot by Officer Raja. Now, you heard his story. He pulled up. He thought it was a disabled vehicle. Uh, he pulls up. He actually pulls in front of uh, Corey Jones vehicle, which as police officers, we just don't do because you're putting yourself in the kill zone, so to speak. We even on disabled vehicles, we always pull behind the vehicle. And even Raja, who actually teaches at well, he used to teach at one of the state funded academies when he took the stand yesterday during his stand your ground. Or I'm sorry, actually, when he was doing more of this uh, video walkthrough, he even said, I teach this all the time that we should assume that any vehicle is occupied and I shouldn't have pulled in front of the vehicle. Well, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. So he says, as soon as he gets out, he identifies himself. Hey, police, can I help you? And the guy immediately, Corey Jones, immediately uh, points a gun at him. And in this video walkthrough, there's a, a part where Raja is standing by Corey Jones' vehicle and he says he had the gun point it like this. He said, I could actually see it over the door. So one would assume, uh, based on that statement, that Officer Raja did see a gun, and he actually said it had a red laser sight. And he said, I'll testify, I can swear to it, it had the red laser sight. So based on that, if what he said was true, he pulled up, even though he was an unmarked vehicle, and he 
got out of the vehicle, and Corey Jones immediately pulled, a, or he says that he said, hey, police, may I help you? Then Corey Jones pulls the gun on him, and he returns fire. Then it should be an open and shut, clean case, whether he was in an unmarked vehicle, whether he was in plain clothes, what have you. If he says that, hey, police, may I help you, then there's a gun pulled on him. There's that imminent threat, that imminent threat of danger, or I'm sorry, imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury, right? That's what we're taught as police officers. And that's what a reasonable police officer would do. That's how a reasonable police officer would react in this situation. But the problem is, that's not quite how it went down. And I'm going to play some different audio. uh, But remember at the top of the show, I said there was something that Raja didn't know was going on at the time. So turns out that Corey Jones had called his uh, roadside assistance company. And as you know, those calls are recorded for quality and training purposes. You know, the line that we all hear whenever we call those companies. So the calls recorded and it tells a little bit of a different story than what Raja said, because remember, here's what's really important. He says, I identified myself. Hey, police, may I help you? Then he also says he told him he said he could see the gun and he told him to drop the gun, drop the gun. But I'm going to have you listen to this audio. Then I'll come back and I'll talk about it. Any, um, hold on, right, southbound down. Is there any buildings, landmarks, anything like that, that I could use to pinpoint your address? Stop. I'm good. Y'all good? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um Um, there's gunshots. Alright, I know that audio was a little little difficult to hear. Again, this was uh the uh, roadside assistance company recorded all their phone calls. Corey Jones had called on his cell phone. Now, uh, I, I played it just a little bit before he opens his door, and you know he opened his door based on the door chime that you g- could hear in the audio. Now, that matches up to what Raja says. I pulled up the door open. Raja says the guy immediately jumped out. Well, that's probably true. Here's why. Again, it's an unmarked Eco Lodge white Ford van. This guy pulls up. He doesn't know. Maybe it's like a tow guy. He doesn't know. So you could hear uh, Corey Jones say, huh? And I will post this this uh, audio on my Twitter so you can listen to it. You can hear Corey Jones say, huh? Raja says, you good. Corey Jones says, I'm good. Raja says, really? Corey Jones says, yeah, I'm good. Really? And the next thing you hear is, get your fucking hands up. Get your fucking hands up. I did not hear, and again, I will post this on my Twitter so all of us can listen to it. I did not hear at any point where Raja said, like he said in his video reenactment, that I said, police, may I help you? 
So, he gets out. You're good, you're good, really. Yep, yep. Get your fucking hands up. Get your fucking hands up. So here's where the problem lies. A, he did not identify himself as a police officer. That is not disputable. It's recorded. He, he, he cannot come back now and say, well, I identified myself, although he said that four, four hours after the shooting. So there was one rule I had when I was off duty and in plain clothes, even when I worked narcotics and I wore plain clothes. I did not approach or anything like that without some identical uh, piece of equipment that would identify me as the police because as an average citizen, and I'm going to step foot into Corey Jones' mindset here for just a second. It's 3.15 in the morning. I'm broken down on the side of the road. It's dark. This white van pulls up. This guy gets out in just some raggedy blue jeans and a brown shirt that's turned inside out. And he starts walking up to me and he never says, hey, I'm the police or I never see a vest that says police or I never see a badge around my waist. There's going to be a problem. So I think what happened here when Corey Jones saw this now, let's 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 be honest. Corey Jones was armed. They did recover a gun, but that is not illegal. Corey Jones was not a convicted felon. He had a decent job. He. uh Taught at his church, so he was authorized to carry a gun. But put yourself in Corey Jones' shoes. After everything that you've just seen, this van pulls up in front of you, 3 in the morning. You're on the side of the road. It's dark. This guy gets out in some jeans and a shirt turned inside out, and he starts approaching you. Here's what I think. Here's what I believe happened. Corey believed he was going to get robbed or whatever, carjacked, whatever, and because he's authorized and allowed to carry a weapon, he was getting ready to defend himself for, from what he believed to be an imminent threat of death or bodily injury. Because remember, citizens, civilians have that right as well. And when you hear Raja say, put your fucking hands up, that tells me that at that exact moment, Corey Jones was not armed with that gun because had he been armed with the gun the conversation the commands would have been drop the fucking gun drop the fucking gun not put your hands up because you don't tell someone that's armed with a gun to put your hands up so i believe Corey was going inside that vehicle to get his weapon because as you can plainly hear raja did not identify himself as a police officer and because of that, unfortunately, Corey Jones is no longer here. Now, listen, I talk about police shootings all the time on the news, on the show. And, you know, I call it like I see it. And I'm going to call this one like I see it. The only reason Corey Jones is dead right now is because Raja and his bad decision making. And again, I'm not the only one. The investigator that interviewed him says there's inconsistencies in his statement that lead you to believe that what he says happened did not happen. They had an ex-chief of police testify that essentially said the same thing and essentially said you should have identified yourself as a police officer. You should have had something on showing you were a police officer. 
Hello, my name is Kevin Van Eckeren, and I host a podcast called The State of Logic. After doing about 10,000 hours of ride-alongs with the police and owning and operating a business to train SWAT teams nationwide, I think I have a pretty fair and balanced approach to talking about current events, especially when it comes to the police. We talk about all sorts of things. So if you're sick of listening to the mass media bash cops, come over here and let's talk about the facts, logic, reason, and rationale. That's the State of Logic podcast. I'm going to share a quick story and I'm going to get back to Raja. I can remember to this day, the day I almost died. We were in East Nashville working narcotics. Someone bailed on us. Of course, it goes out on the radio. So when that happens, all the police come, especially when it's late at night. And no one has anything to do. Now, we're going around East Nashville. I'm on foot hauling butt through alleys, through yards, whatever. And as I come around the corner, there's this uniform officer. And I'm not going to say his name because it's not his fault. He's just there doing his job. As I come around the corner hauling butt, he draws down on me. And the only thing, and I'll believe it to this day, the only thing that saved me as I rounded the corner and was face to face with him and he had his light extended out as well as his gun, he saw my badge hanging around my neck. And I assure you, had my badge not been around my neck, again, something to identify me as a police officer, the outcome probably would have been a little different. Now, had I survived, could I honestly say I would have blamed the officer? Not really, because I'm looking at all of the factors, the totality of the evidence. But I say that to say this. I had an identifying item that identified me as a police officer. If you look at Raja, and I tell you what, I will post not only the the audio from the uh, uh, roadside assistance, but I will post the video that Raja has. If you look at this guy, the shirt's inside out. You can see the tag. He's got on some bummy jeans and a baseball cap. So I believe, again, as Corey Jones saw Raja walking up to him at 3.30, 3.15 in the morning, he thought he was going to get robbed. And he reacted just like I would have reacted, just like many of you listening would have reacted, just like I would suggest anyone to react if you believe your life is in danger. Everyone has that right. But the biggest problem I have with Raja, he lied. He lied because he told investigators, I said, and if you listen to the entire video walkthrough, he says it so many times. I said, hey, police, may I help you? And he immediately grabbed the gun and pointed it at me. And I was like, this guy knows I'm a cop, but he wants to shoot me anyway. This is what he says for several minutes. I believe it's like 25, 30 minutes where he's saying this repeatedly. I said, police, may I help you? But when you listen to the audio, which he did not realize was rolling at the time, there's nothing that you hear where he says, police, may I help you? Not even the point where he's saying, put your fucking hands up again, not drop the gun, put your fucking hands up. I'm the police. Put your fucking hands up. I'm a cop. The only thing you hear is put your fucking hands up, which again, tells a reasonable person, there's that word, a reasonable person that at that exact second, Corey Jones was not armed. 
which means it could have been de-escalated by Raja going to cover and yelling, hey, I'm a police officer, I'm a police officer, or even while he's telling him to put his hands up, I'm a police officer. Now, it's debatable. Would Corey Jones have believed it? I don't know, because again, raggedy jeans, shirt uh, inside out, baseball cap, 3.30 in the morning, this plain white van that looks like a child molester van, to be quite honest with you. So there's no telling if Corey would have believed it, but it could have been a different outcome. There were so many things this officer did wrong. He even says it. I shouldn't have parked in front of the, I shouldn't have parked in front of his car. Yeah. If you look at the video, he's parked right in front of his car. Now I've done, I, I lost count on how many traffic stops I would do in a night, let alone over my career. The one thing I've never done, even when it's an abandoned vehicle and I've had my fair share of those is pull in front of that vehicle because that is the danger zone. Because if someone is in that vehicle, they can ram you. They could shoot at you. You're already at a disadvantage because you would have to get out and go towards the danger, not away from the danger. You'd have to go towards the danger to de-escalate that situation. So, so many things Raja did wrong. Didn't identify himself. Parked in front of the vehicle. Although it was an unmarked car, an unmarked van, guess what? I assure you, there's blue lights on that van. Every government vehicle that is unmarked has blue lights for the simple fact, even when I was working undercover, and I drove a Mercury Cougar, a 1999 Mercury Cougar, black in color. It had blue lights in the grill so people would know if the stuff hit the fan, oh, that's the police. So Raja could have easily turned on those blue lights parked behind this vehicle. Corey Jones would have saw blue lights and a white van and said, oh, that must be the police because it's this white van and there's blue lights. And then Raja could have said, hey, I'm the police. Can I help you? But that situation escalated within three seconds. All right, maybe five to ten seconds. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Put your fucking hands up. Well, here's why it escalated. Raja kept walking up to the guy and never once said, I'm the police. Although he said, he did. So right now, again, Raja, he's having a hearing for uh, stand your ground. That's his defense. And I want to make one correction. He's being charged with manslaughter, not second degree murder. But his defense is it was self-defense. Stand your ground. But really, stand your ground typically is for civilians. Uh, and there's so many factors to that. You know, stand your ground means you don't have to flee. You have the right to protect yourself, which is true. The only problem, again, is was there an imminent threat at that exact moment? And could that imminent threat have been prevented by simply saying the words that he told investigators? He said, I'm the police. May I help you? I'm the police. May I help you? So Corey Jones actually had a right to stand his ground as well, which is what he was doing, because a gun again, a gun was recovered near the body of Corey Jones. There's no dispute that he was armed. But here's what I dispute. 
that gun was not in his hand the second Officer Raja approached. Again, because, man, I would never tell someone that has a gun already pointed at me over their door, like he says, to put your freaking hands up. His hands would have been already up. What you should have heard, if Raja's story is true, drop the gun. Drop the gun or I will shoot. There should have been no misunderstanding. Or I'm going to flip it for you and thank police because that's what I used to be. If the gun was in his hand immediately, like he says it was when Corey Jones jumped out of that vehicle, Corey Jones wouldn't have had the opportunity to run 30, 40, 50 yards and get shot 30 or 40 or 50 yards away from his truck. The gunshots would have started as soon as uh, Raja saw that gun pointed at him over Jones' door like he claims. I assure you, there would have been no misunderstanding. There would have been no conversation. There would have been no nothing had a gun been pointing at Raja at that exact moment. Corey Jones would have died at the side of his vehicle when he pointed that gun at that officer. And one more thing, there was no laser sight on the gun. Uh, if, if you watch his entire video uh, walkthrough, he said there was a laser sight. He he would swear to it, and it was. he even gives the brand. He even says it was this, this kind of laser sight, and he saw the flash of the laser. Well, there was no gun, or there was no laser on the gun. The only red flash was the flashing red light that was up towards the uh, top of the on-ramp where Corey Jones was broken down. So this whole case really uh it's tragic because you have this one officer who surprisingly was teaching aspiring people who want to be police. He was actually teaching them tactics, but his tactics and his actions unfortunately led to the death of Corey Jones. And again, you know, I'm pro police, but I got to call it like I see it. This was a cluster it was totally preventable. And yes, they always say, don't Monday morning quarterback another officer's decisions. I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking anything. But what I can say is there's no way I would have pulled in front of that vehicle. Truthfully, if I was in plain clothes, there's no way I would have even approached that vehicle because no one knows you're the police when you're in plain clothes. And no one knows you're the police if you don't turn on blue lights or if you don't have some type of identifiable items on your body to say you're the police, like your police jacket, your badge, anything like that. So I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking, but I will tell you what Vincent Hill wouldn't have done. I definitely wouldn't have done that. I would have just called that vehicle in like I've done hundreds of times when I'm off duty. I've called in robberies. I've called in Fires on the side of the interstate. I've called in accidents. I've called in a whole bunch of stuff from the comforts of my cell phone when I was off duty and in plain clothes or when I was in plain clothes and working narcotics because I didn't want to be a dead person because I'm approaching someone and all of a sudden they think I'm there to rob to rob them and they shoot me. I'm just saying. So, Raja, again, charged with uh, manslaughter. Um, I'm curious to see what the judge's decision will be on this stand-your-ground claim. And I mean, they had a lot of uh, both 
prosecution and defense defense witnesses, um, you know, during this two day stand your ground hearing, uh, you know, trying to sway the judge one way or the other. Me personally, I don't see how stand your ground um, is even a noteworthy thing here simply because it could have gone a different way. And, you know, Corey really didn't have a chance. Well, I I take that back. He had a chance, but his chance was standing his ground. Think about that. Think about it. Yes, Roger was a cop, but think about it. Go back to what I said. You're out there three in the morning. This guy who looks like a bum is walking up to you after he just basically blocked your car in with his van. You don't know what the heck's going on. Corey had a right at that exact moment. Think about it at that exact moment to stand his ground. And remember, too, he was calling roadside assistance. His vehicle was disabled. It wouldn't start. He says that in the call. So I know there's someone that may argue he could have gotten his car and drove away. No, his car was broken down. That's why he was on the phone with roadside assistance. So he had every right at that moment when Raja was approaching, who did not identify himself as a police officer, to stand his ground. So if the stand your ground's thrown out, which I believe it will be, uh, I'll be curious to see how this goes on in court. And really, I think any jury right now because they've been they've been watching this, you know, um, and they've heard all the evidence and they've heard the fact that Raja didn't identify himself as a police officer. And there is a 30 second delay before the 911 call and you hear more shots after he calls 911. So the jury's going to look at all of that. And the, the thing it's going to come down to the most is the lie that Raja told. Well, I think he told several. We know he didn't identify himself as a police officer. We know or we can assume that Corey Jones didn't immediately point a gun at him because, again, the first thing he said was put your effing hands up. So I think the jury who's smart enough, most juries are smart enough. They're going to pick up on all of that. And truthfully, if if Raja lied, well, he has lied. Raja's lied. He's discredited that department and all the 99% of the officers that do the right thing every single day, every single minute, every single hour. So he's disgraced a lot of officers in Broward County. He made them look bad by his lies. He made police look bad by his lies. And quite frankly, I think a manslaughter charge is actually justified in this case. This is Gardens Alpha 1. I just got one down. I just shot one person. I'm at that off ramp right behind Double Tree. Black male. You're behind the Double Tree? I'm on the off ramp. 95 southbound off ramp. Off the Double Tree. I'm I am not covered in anything right now. And, all right. Uh, give me some units. I got one down. I got one man down. Have five right, right, Roger, you all right? Yeah, man. I'm good. I'm good. Drop all the right. On the off ramp, right? On the offense, gave me some units. I've lost okay. contact with him. I don't know where he is. All right, you got it, buddy. Where's right, your radio? Where's your radio, Raj? 
my radio's in the van right now. I don't have it with me. I'm on the, right. That's why I'm on the phone. All right, stay on the phone, buddy. What were you, what's the guy look like? Black male wearing all black dress, had a silver handgun in his right hand. I came out, I saw him come out with a handgun, I gave him commands, I identified myself, and he turned, pointed the gun at me, started running, I shot him. Now that's Roger's cell phone call to the 911 dispatcher. I want to read what he just said, and I assure you it's going to be crucial, crucial during this trial. I came out, I saw him come out with a handgun, I gave him commands, I identified myself, and he turned and pointed the gun at me. But that is not what that roadside assistance audio even suggests. He did come out. He's right about that. You did see him come out. You're right about that because you can hear the two having a conversation. You good? I'm good. Really? Really? That's not disputable. But what is disputable? Disputable? Sorry. You identified yourself? No, you didn't. And he turned and pointed the gun at you? No, he didn't, because you told him, put your effing hands up. Now, what you should have done was said, oh, he reached in the vehicle to get a gun, at which point I started giving commands that on the police, because that's what happened. That's exactly what happened here. Otherwise, I assure you, Raja would not have said, put your effing hands up. Do a survey. Go ask any police officer. If someone is pointing a gun at them, Are they going to tell that person, put your effing hands up? They're not going to do it. So at the end of the day, Raja lied. I can tell you exactly what happened. I can tell you why he shot. Maybe he got excited and the adrenaline started going when he saw Corey reaching. It's all well and good. but And Corey probably, more than likely, did come out with the gun because, again, he didn't know who the heck Roger was, which Corey was authorized to do by law to protect himself from what he believed in that split second to be an imminent threat against his life. So the problem is that Roger, none of that exchange during no point did he say, I'm the police. When Corey started reaching in the truck. And again, maybe he was just excited and his adrenaline started going way up and he just pulled out his gun and was like, let me see your hands. Let me see your hands or put your effing hands up, whatever he said. But the fact that Raja told a story is going to be his downfall. I assure you, if this goes to trial and he does not plea out, if he wants to take this to trial, he's going to prison. And remember when I said that about the officer that shot Walter Scott in Charleston, South Carolina, that he was going to go to prison? Because when you looked at the evidence, it didn't back up what the officer said. When you look at this evidence and when you listen to the evidence, this does not back up what Raja said. The 35-second delay between him calling 911, where you could still hear him say, drop the gun. Yeah, at that point, Corey probably did have the gun in his hand. But at that point, he had already been shot several times, and the gun was found several feet from his body. Yeah, Corey had the gun at that point, 
But had it gone down exactly how Roger said, think about what I'm telling you. Corey Jones would have been shot right next to his vehicle, right center mass through that door. I assure you, if that gun was pointed at Raja at that exact moment, two things would have happened. He would have ducked for cover behind his van, which was in front of Corey's car, or he would have pulled the trigger. He would have done like he said he did. Aim. I yelled aim. He would have done that immediately at that vehicle and at Corey Jones when Corey Jones was behind that door. All right, I'm out of time for this evening, but as you know, it is time for my 10-7 segment where I highlight a fallen officer who was killed in the line of duty. And for those that don't know, 10-7, of course, means your end of watch. Typically, when you're off duty, you check 10-7. But for this show, for these purposes, 10-7 for the remainder means the officer was killed in the line of duty. So their tour of service is forever ended. And tonight I want to highlight Deputy Sheriff William J. Gentry Jr., Highlands County Sheriff's Office, uh, Highlands County, Florida. His end of watch was Monday, May the 7th. That's right. Yesterday, William J. Gentry Jr., Deputy Sheriff William Gentry succumbed to a gunshot wound sustained the previous night while responding to an animal abuse call at a home in the 200 block of Baltimore Way in which a homeowner's cat had been fatally shot with a pellet gun. He and a deputy he was training had responded to the victim's home. During the investigation, Deputy Gentry went to the suspect's home, a convicted felon who lived next door, to make contact with him. As he stood at the front door, the suspect opened fire on him, shooting him in the head. The suspect was taken into custody at the scene and charged with numerous counts. Deputy Gentry was flown to Lee Memorial Hospital, where he succumbed to his wounds the following day. Deputy Gentry had served with the Highlands County Sheriff's Office for nine years. He is survived by a brother who also serves with the agency. A true hero gone over a cat who was shot by a pellet gun and another convicted felon who should not have had a gun. And when people talk gun control, let's talk about controlling these convicted felons who continue to get their hands on illegal guns. Let's not talk about gun control that's going to affect any law abiding Second Amendment right citizen in this country. Let's control these guns that are killing cops. Let's control these guns that are killing generations of kids in Chicago. That's gun control. I want to thank you for listening tonight. As always, I appreciate it. I will see you right here next week. Same time, same station, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. 
I'm Tracy Beans, host of the new podcast, Dark to Light with Frank and Beans on Radio Influence. It's a new show about politics, but not the way you're used to. What we talk about is actually true. And it's also stuff they don't want you to hear. So we bring it to you weekly. All the intrigue and spin and double talk spelled out for you right with my co-host Frank's special flavor of commentary. Don't miss him. He's an experience. So join us. Dark to Light with Frank and me, Tracy Beans, drops each Friday on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.